And the Bible does say this, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive the prophet reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. We're in a series right now called The Pros, and The Pros stands for The Prophets, and I decided to just shorten it to say The Pros, because when you launch out on a series called The Prophets, you don't really get resounding applause or anything like that. So, not meaning to, to be manipulative in any way, but we do want to encourage you to, to, to step into the life of these people who were literally the elite of their day in ministering the word of God. And so if the, if, the re, if the word of God was needed for them back then and it's still in the Bible today, I believe it's still relevant and needed for us today. And so I love that verse that says when you receive a prophet, you'll receive a prophet's reward also. So we want to embrace what God said through his prophets. Last week we talked about Isaiah. Today we're going to talk about the prophet Jeremiah. And a brief Old Testament overview for those of you who missed last week. As you begin to read the Bible, as you start out in the book of Genesis, and when you start out in Genesis, you have the first five books of the Bible, which is considered the law. The law is the foundation for Christ that's being laid throughout the whole Old Testament and throughout the whole Bible. The history is the books of Joshua through Esther, and that's the preparation for Christ or leading up to Christ. Poetry is the aspiration of Christ. It's Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. But then you have the prophetic books, which is the expectation of Christ, which is Isaiah through Malachi. And as you re- begin to read the prophet books, you've got to begin to understand that they're prophesying about Jesus, the coming Messiah. And as we begin to read the Bible like that, we begin to read the Bible from a perspective that is not always correct all the time. As we read and study and talk about Jesus, many re- people refer to Jesus as just a, a marker on the history of the time timeline where you have bc and ad that are divided jesus this man in the middle lived for 33 years and so when we begin to read we begin to read from beginning we have jesus in the middle and then we read all the way through the ending but that's really not the proper way to study the bible and i'll and i'll tell you why the bible talks about in colossians 1 17 it says jesus christ he is before all things and in him all things hold together John 1 1 says in the very beginning there was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was with God in the beginning and all things were made through him and out without him there was not anything made that has been made Revelations 13 8 says the lamb who was even slain before the foundations of the earth and we also know that Revelation calls Jesus Christ the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end the first and the last and he also says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forevermore the Bible goes on to say if the first prophecy in Genesis 3 15 is about Jesus and the last prophecy in revelation is about jesus we cannot just equate jesus to the 33 year marker on the history of a timeline amen we must study the bible from a christ-centered perspective that christ is the central point of the whole bible from the very beginning christ is in it to the very ending christ is in it and he's mixed all the way through it because everything about it from the beginning all the way through to the ending is all about jesus christ the son of the living god amen And so we must begin to study the Bible and what uh, uh, seminary teaches a a Christ-centered or a Christocentric perspective. Jesus Christ is our guide. He is our key to the interpretation of the whole Bible. Jesus Christ is the key and he is the interpretation as our guide from the beginning in Genesis all the way through the ending in Revelation. And here's why. Because if you try to study the history of the, the, the church or the history of the Old Testament with no Jesus even in the picture, you're missing why the history of the Old Testament 
isn't even in there. It's there to show you the leading up and the laying of the foundation for Jesus Christ. If you try to study the book of Revelation without Jesus Christ being in it, you're going to miss the whole book of Revelation because it is the consummation of all things, talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb and Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ must be our guide throughout the whole Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Since this is true and the prophets, the prophets were all prophesying about Jesus, that means the book of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all the prophets, those books are still relevant and needed to be studied in the church today. Amen? And so as you begin to study the prophet books, I pray that you get divine interpretation, divine revelation from God, and divine illumination about what the prophets are trying to say. And that's what we're trying to do here on, on the, throughout the series is bring you uh, enlightenment about what the prophets were talking about. Now we're in the prophet Jeremiah today. And Jeremiah, I'm going to go ahead and uh, preface this, Jeremiah is not a very positive book. It's not a very inspirational book. It's a book that re literally shows the heart of God and how grieved the heart of God was throughout the history of the, the nation of Judah. And as I begin prefacing this whole message by saying that, Prophets were not just called to hear what God said or hear what God said to them and say it. Prophets were called to feel the heart of God and express it. Prophets were not just to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord in a monotone voice and deliver a speech. Prophets literally felt the heart of God when they would be hearing from God on the situation of their nation or the situation that they were addressing. Thus, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He is known as the weeping prophet. He shed much tears over the state and the nation of Israel and the state that they were in. And as he was in much uh, a very grievous state about the, the nation of Judah that he was in, we begin to see the heart of God and how it equates and comes across. And so as we begin to study the book of Jeremiah, even this morning, I want to do a brief recap where we started talking about last week. They're going to throw a picture up on the screen of about um, the, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. And as you read the Old Testament, there comes a great divide in the kingdom. And you have a split of the nation of Judah and Israel. And when Solomon died in 926 B.C., the ten northern tribes refused to submit to Solomon's son. And they split off from Solomon's son and Judah, the, the southern tribe of Judah. So you have is Israel, the northern tribe, and you have Judah, the southern tribe. And so therefore, when you read the Old Testament, you have the book of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. Do you remember that from memorizing the books of the Bible? Well, 1 Kings, 2 Kings talks about the historical uh, stories of the nation of Judah. 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles talks about the historical state of Israel. And so when you read the Bible in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, you're reading about Judah. In 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, you're reading about the nation of Israel. And so in 722, Israel was taken captive by the, the Assyrians, and they were no longer the nation of Israel. Judah maintained and was hanging around until about 586 B.C., when they got taken into captivity, where Isaiah was the prophet during the time of Israel being brought into exile. Jeremiah is the prophet uh, about 180 years later that was the prophet when Judah got brought into captivity of Babylon. And so the first 39 chapters of Jeremiah are written before Judah went into captivity when they are in a very rebellious state, a very deceived state, a very desolate state, and actually a state that would consider them lost and having no direction where they're going. The 40 chapters 40 through 44 
are the ones when, uh, written when, Jesus, when Judah or Jeremiah stayed in Judah after the fall of the kingdom. And then the final chapters of 45 uh, through the end, of the end of the book of Jeremiah is when he wrote in captivity, such as the book of Lamentations, when he was lamenting or grieving over the state of Judah. Now, some of the political arrangements that were going on is when Jeremiah first became a prophet. When you read Jeremiah 1, it says, I knew you before I formed you in the womb of your mother. He was about 20 years old at that time. He became a prophet in the land of Judah, and King Josiah was king, and King Josiah did the most amazing Passover feast ever recorded in the history of the Bible. The Bible says it. And so as Josiah was king, they had lost the book of the law, the book that Moses wrote, Genesis through Deuteronomy. It was back, stuffed away somewhere in one of their big libraries through all their stuff. Well, Josiah found this book. And he had the scribes begin to read it to him. And as they began to read it, this is what Josiah did in 1 Kings. And it says, And the king commanded all the people to keep the Passover of the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. And the Bible says, For no such Passover had ever been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year, King Josiah and this Passover was kept before the Lord in Jerusalem. And moreover than that, after the Passover, Josiah put away the mediums and the household gods and the idols and the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem that he might establish the words that were written in the book of the law. This is right when Josiah had this huge Passover that took place that is right at the beginning of Jeremiah's ministry. So Jeremiah was a part of this huge reform that took place when Josiah started turning Judah back to the kingdom of God. A short time later, Josiah gets killed. Josiah's son takes over. The Bible said he did great evil in the eyes of the Lord. His empire lasted three months and they were brought into captivity by the Babylonians. That's a great story with a bad ending, right? So that's the kind of the status of where everything was, the political state, when Jeremiah is coming into this role as a prophet. And it's important to know that because when Jeremiah steps into this role as a prophet, he's kind of reluctant at first. And if you read it and he seems, why is he so reluctant to jump into this great role? Well, if you know you're about to be taken into captivity by the Babylonians, which was the greatest empire of the world at that point when Jeremiah was prophet, and they weren't known for treating the Israelites very nicely, especially the prophets that heard from God, you would understand his reluctancy just a little bit. And so as we go through this, Jeremiah's background is he was from a family of prophets and he was destined, even before he was born, to be a prophet. He began his ministry under Josiah. He spent a great amount of time in prison because of his unfavorable prophecies and he shared great suffering in the land when he was finally exiled to after, the, after they were brought into captivity. Now Jeremiah means this. It means established by the Lord. And so if you're going to do the job that Jeremiah did, that must be the meaning of your name. You have to be established by God to withstand many of the things that he had to withstand during his time. I like to call um, Jeremiah the book of the extreme God. As you read the book of Jeremiah, you begin to go to notice the extremes that God goes through to reach the nation of Judah. You begin to notice the extremes that God goes through when the beginning of the call of Jeremiah, when he said, I know you before I formed you in the womb of your mother and called you to be a prophet unto the nations. He began to go on an extreme call to bring Judah back to the place of restoration with God. He doesn't just go on an extreme call. He goes on an extreme reaching out process, as we'll go to in here just a little bit. Jeremiah chapter number 13 all the way through 20, you'll see the extending, reaching hand of God Almighty continually reaching out to the land of Judah. And as Judah doesn't turn, they go into captivity, but we serve a God of extreme hope. Everybody say hope. Yes. 
As we serve a God of extreme hope, I'm going to tell you, just as there was hope for Judah, and God begins to prophesy, even in the midst of captivity, about the restoration of Israel and Judah and the safety and bringing them back to where God called them to be. This morning, I want you to understand that just because Jeremiah lived several thousand years ago doesn't mean we don't serve the same God that Jeremiah did. We still serve a God of the extreme call, the extreme continual reaching arm, and in a God of extreme hope. So no matter what your circumstances are today, there's a hope for you to receive Jesus Christ and watch God bring restoration to every desolate, every rebellious, every deceived, and every lost part of your life, even here this morning. Amen? Amen. All right, let's get into God's message today. Amen? Are you excited? All right, as we jump into this message, I want to talk about the God of the extreme call. And the God of the extreme call is Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse number 4. And the Bible says this, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Everybody say this, Now God speak to me. Jeremiah stood there and said, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, I want you to receive a word from God this morning. Amen. I don't want you to come in here and hear a great message. I want you to hear a word from God for your life this morning. Jeremiah stood there and he said, now the word of God came to me saying, and God began to speak to him about the call of God on his life. I want God's word to come to you this morning. We serve a God of the extreme call. And he says, now the word of God came to me saying, or where the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, I want to clarify that word nations just for a minute. He did not prophesy to just Judah. He was prophesying to Judah and to Israel about their restoration, but also prophesying about Babylon, about the Assyrians, and about all the other countries that were compounding them on every side, taking them over. So he was a prophet, not just to God's people, but a prophet to the nations. And so he said, O Lord, behold, this is Jeremiah saying, and God, have you ever argued with God? Jeremiah's kind of getting into a little bit of the, the Joel T. Meyer syndrome here, and I don't advise it. I don't recommend it. I, I, I recommend you say, yes, Lord, and go with it because you never win. And verse 6 says, and then I said, ah, sovereign Lord, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you will speak. And then whenever God prefaces something like, don't be afraid, <laughs> there's going to be a reason out there for you to be afraid, Right? So listen to what he says to Jeremiah, and this is why Jeremiah's reluctancy comes in. He said, do not be afraid, for I am with you, and I will deliver you, declares the Lord. Now here's the scary thing. Whenever God says, don't be afraid, it means you're facing something that the opportunity for fear is going to come in. You ever stepped out on faith and had to do something that God said do, and then you look at it right in the eyes like, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, Right? And then God goes a little bit further and says, Jeremiah, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid because I'm going to deliver you. Whenever God says, I'm going to deliver you, that's when you need to say, what? Because here's why. Because if he's going to deliver you, that means you're going to be in a circumstance where you need deliverance. Yeah. Right? So Jeremiah, at the beginning of this, where Isaiah, when he heard the call of God on his life, saw, oh, the train of God's robe, filled the temple with glory. Oh, the wonderful state of Isaiah, chapter 6. You got Jeremiah over here in the midst of being taken over. Their country's in, in shambles. 
and Jeremiah's rising to the scene, and God's talking to him and says, don't be afraid, Jeremiah, because I'm, don't be afraid because I'm with you, and whatever happens, get ready because I'm going to deliver you. <laughs> That's not as fun as Isaiah's. It's like, God, why you got to give him the fun calling? Why does he get to see the train of your robe, fill the temple with glory, and the angels flying back and forth, and all the amazing stuff? When I'm stuck over here getting taken over by the Babylonians, don't be afraid and you're going to deliver me. Jeremiah was kind of reluctant. But there's an extreme call from an extreme God because the nation was in an extreme state. And this is what he goes on to say. See, I have set you this day over nations and kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy and to overthrow. And this is the part I love. To build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And he said, I see an, olive, an almond branch. And the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am, watch overing, I am watching over my word to see that it is performed. God didn't just come to Jeremiah with an extreme call. He made an extreme promise about his word. He made an extreme promise about his word that says, Jeremiah, you're going to say what I tell you to say. And prophets weren't just called to say what God said, but they felt what God felt. Jeremiah, in the extreme call that I've given you, you're not just going to say what I say, but you're going to feel what I feel. But in the midst of that, Jeremiah, whatever you say, because I put my spirit in you, whatever you say, I'm going to be the one backing my word up. I'm going to be the one faithfully watching over my word that is performed to the way I wanted it performed. And I love the Bible says, as the word of God goes out, he is faithful to see that it will accomplish all the stuff it was set out to accomplish. So we serve an extreme God that's going to an extreme call with Jeremiah and is issuing an extreme promise about his word that it will accomplish the purpose in which he had sent it forth to do. We serve a God of the extremes. This morning, we serve an extreme God who's still calling out to you today. We serve an extreme God who's still calling out to you by name because he knows who you are. He knows your past. He knows what's going on in your future. And he knows everything about you. And he's calling you out by name today saying, will you take my word that I'll be faithful to watch over it and see that it's performed in a proper way and it accomplishes the work that I've sent it forth to do. We serve an extreme God with an extreme call, with an extreme promise about an extreme word to accomplish an extreme purpose in the day that we live in here in the year 2014. As we serve that kind of a God, I want to talk to you about the God of the extreme reach. The God of the extreme reach. And the extreme reach is not just a long-reaching arm, it's a continual-reaching arm. It's not just a long-reaching arm that God says, I'm giving you your one chance, grab a hold, and if you don't grab a hold, I'm gone forever. No, God gives the nation of Judah chance after chance after chance after chance, and time after time after time and after time again. He's continually reaching out his hand. Some of it sounds like some of your life. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it sounds a lot like my life. God continually reaches his hand out to me over and over and over again. Because he's the God of the extreme reach. I love as you begin to read Jeremiah. And there's, there's tons of illustrations in chapters 13 through 20. I'm just going to hit on a couple of them. You have the one where in Genesis or Jeremiah chapter 13 where he, God says, Jeremiah, go buy a loincloth. And whatever you do, do not dip it in water. Just go buy a loincloth and then bring it up to the mountains and bury it under some rocks. And then come back here. And then a, then a few days later, go back up. And he pulled the loincloth out and it was rotted. And he said, see the state of the nation of Judah. See the state of the nation of Judah and their pride. This is what it's like to me. Rottenness is what he's saying. That's condensing the chapter into three sentences, okay? That's what it's like. 
Some of you, God's given you illustration after illustration after illustration, but we haven't opened our eyes to see a God who's continually reaching out to us. You have the time when he was told to fill up wine jars and God shattered him. He has the time where he spoke of the drought and he began to weep. And you have the time when Jeremiah was uh, rejected because the Bible says he was a man of strife and contention to the whole land. How many of you know when you start preaching what God says preach sometimes, there's a whole faction of people out there that says, why don't you just hush? All you're doing is causing controversy. I pray that in your life today, That the words that I say, that it riles you up something fierce on the inside. So you have to begin to check yourself versus the word of God and bring yourself to a place in the presence of God where God can deal with you on some things. It's not a time for the church to sit back and be complacent about things. But it's time for people to rise up with the word of God and bring the word of God before people and let God begin to work because God who is faithful over his word will see that it is performed to where he wants it to be performed and do with his word what he wants to do. So Jeremiah was called a man of strife and contention. He goes on to talk about how Jeremiah was not told to marry or even have any kids because of the tumultuous days that he was living in. It also talks about in Jeremiah 17 the sin of, Ju- the sin of Judah was written with a pen of iron and with a point of a diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of their heart. I can't get into all the symbolism on that. But the iron and the diamond and the the chiseling in on the heart, it was their sins that God says, basically, they're ever before me. And God was calling out to his nation once again. He goes on in the, the famous one of Jeremiah, where he's in Jeremiah chapter 18, when this is the last call of God to his people to come back and repent and come to a place, he goes to the potter's house and he's sitting at the potter's wheel and he's working with the pot of clay and he says, we are in the, the, the potter's hands. You all know the story of that. And as that happens, the nation still didn't repent. So God said, I need you to go get a clay pot and I need you to bring it before the leaders of all of, of, all of, of, of Judah and I need you to shatter it before them as a symbolic action of This is what God has done to the nation of Judah. It's been shattered. And that was the last uh, of Jeremiah for a time because the people took him and beat him and put him in stocks. As last week we talked about the Bible, Isaiah being a miniature version of the Bible, Jeremiah is literally a mirror of Jesus in his ministry, going time and time and time again to a people who rejected him, who rejected him, and eventually beat him and put him up as a spectacle and killed him. This isn't when Jeremiah died, though. Jeremiah was ministering to people who the, the spiritual state of Judah was desolate, rebellious, deceived, and lost. I want to talk to you a little bit today about those four terms that I just brought up. The term desolate literally means this. Without inhabitation or with no habitation there. With no habitation there. Now, that term was discussing the, the spiritual state of Judah. And as that term was talking about the spiritual state of the nation of, of Judah, I want to begin to ask you, what is your life like without the presence of God Almighty? What is your life like without the presence of God Almighty? Because by and large, the church as a whole, the only time we feel the presence of God Almighty is in a Sunday morning corporate worship service when we have amazing worship like we did this morning. And you can literally feel and sense the presence of God. And it's amazing. And everybody says, wow, this is what it's like. But we leave here never to feel the presence of God again until the next time a corporate worship service happens. I want to ask you a question. Are you living a desolate life except for one hour on a Sunday morning? 
Because the church as a whole, we wonder why the status of the church does not have great renown and great resounding uh, praise and accolades coming from it. The fact of the matter is, most of the church is desolate. There is no habitation of the presence of God in it, except on a Sunday morning worship service. So as you leave here today, I want to begin to ask you this. Where is the presence of God going to be in your life tomorrow? Or when you leave, will you resemble the body of Christ that Jesus is coming back for? And I don't believe we've achieved that status of where he's coming back for it quite yet. One without spot, one without wrinkle, one without blemish where the presence of God is here. Or does your life resemble the state of Judah? A desolate place without the presence of God. The church, by and large, we need to grab a hold of God's presence. And I love what, what, um, what, the, what Moses, I believe it was Moses, he said, God, if you go, I'm going. If you stay, I'm staying. I'm not going to be where your presence is not. I will not go if your presence is not there. If you tell me to go and your presence isn't there, God, I'm not going. Listen. I want you to begin to understand that the presence of God has got to be more than a Sunday morning uh, theatrical thing in your life. The presence of God must be a tangible force that you feel in your life on a daily basis because many of us, we wonder why our Sunday morning experiences are so great, but Monday through Friday literally seem like hell because we're desolate. Without the habitation or the presence of God in our life, we're desolate. It also goes on to say that Judah was a rebellious nation. A rebellious nation. Rebellious means this. A series of behaviors. You can write this down if you want to because it's, it's probably vitally important to your life. Because the next point's going to show up on this. It's a series of behaviors that aim at overthrowing authority in your life. A series of behaviors that take place. That, be, that are aimed at overthrowing authority in your life. Now when you got born again... You begin to make the decision that Jesus Christ, you are Savior and Lord of my life. Lord of my life literally means I come under your authority. We did a whole series on dive and the centurion came to Jesus and he kneeled down and said, Lord, he was a man of authority that went under authority because he needed to be under authority. I want to begin to ask you, is your presence on Sunday morning saying, Lord, and you're under authority, but your actions Monday through Friday, are they aimed at overthrowing the authority that you're supposed to be under? A lot of us as believers, especially in the United States of America, we struggle with Christianity because we are so used to a democracy. We are so used to a democracy in the United States and in the Western culture that we struggle with the, with, the, with the philosophy of a kingdom. In a kingdom, there is no democracy. What the king says becomes law and it becomes rule. Jesus said, I have come to build my father's kingdom, not my father's democracy. We struggle with Christianity in America because if we don't like it, all we got to do is cast another vote and we'll elect somebody else next time around. Correct? And I'm not saying the American way of doing things in a democracy is bad by any means. I'm just saying it does not equate to Christianity and kingdom style living. Where when Jesus begins to ask you to do something and you said you're the Lord of my life, you're under his authority, you begin to automatically do it just because he said it. And he's king of kings and lord of lords. Where our lifestyle says if I don't like it, I'll just cast a different vote. 
I got freedom of speech in the United States of America. I can say what I want to say. Really, if you're a born-again believer, you're born again before you're American. Did you hear me? You're more born again than you are American. And if you're more born again than you are American, you don't have freedom of speech. You have only to say what God tells you to say. You don't have freedom of actions. You have only to do what God tells you to do. Paul said it best. He said, I have become a bondservant to Christ Jesus. He said, I can't act on my own. I only do what he tells me to do. The Holy Spirit refers to Jesus in the same way. He said, I will not act on my own accord. I can only do what he tells me to do. So in a kingdom-style living, our actions of being rebellious simply stem from the environment that we were raised in. And so many of us rebel against God's kingdom and don't even know we're in rebellion. But our actions aimed at overthrowing the authority that's above us. I've talked about being desolate and being rebellious, and I want to also talk about being received or being deceived. The Bible talks about to be misled by a false appearance. This appearance of our knowledge is greater than we think his knowledge is. This appearance of deception means that we think our knowledge is greater than what his knowledge is. This runs so deep that the only way to break the blindness of deception is done by one way. If you really want to open your eyes to see if you're um, being deceived by your own lifestyle, do this. Journal your actions for a week. Journal your actions for a week. Good, bad, ugly, otherwise, just, just journal it. How, how much time you spend on the computer and Facebook and, and everything else, just journal it all for a week. And then as you journal it all for a week, and it's literally in black and white, before you, as you've got it journaled and you've got it laid out and that's your deeds and all the stuff you've done for a week, you've, you've journaled extensively, then I want you to open up the Bible to Matthew chapter number, uh, chapter number 5 and turn into the Sermon on the Mount and begin to read chapters 5, 6, and 7 and see if what you're doing here mirrors what your lifestyle is here. We're deceived if we're thinking we're good, good people. Because the fact of the matter is, if I, even, if I even listed my good deeds, bad deeds, journaled my life here, and I began to line it up with what the kingdom says to do here, I would fall very short of what God has said I'm supposed to be even as a believer. And many of us were deceived into thinking, oh, we're doing great, we're doing wonderful good things, when the fact of the matter is, it's written in black and white of what we should be doing, and we're coming nowhere close. Just as the nation of Judah was so deceived, they thought they were doing right. When all along they were only proving how lost they really were. I want to talk to you about being lost just for a minute this morning. And throw out your old church terminology about being lost this morning. What does lost really mean? A lot of us are like, well, if you're lost, you need to find Jesus. Well, the term lost means unable to find one's way. Unable to find one's way. And then when you're unable to find your way, you are literally, truly considered lost. When you're operating in a lifestyle that is desolate without the presence of God, it's rebellious without the kingdom of God, and it's deceived without the presence of God in your life in every area, you're going to find yourself ending up being lost. And when you're lost, you'll literally walk your way directly into captivity and never find freedom in your life. When you are lost, you have no choice but to find captivity. You will not find freedom when, you lo when you're lost. 
The problem is a lot of us are okay with being lost. They're okay with being lost in our life and we're okay with being desolate because God forgives. We're okay with being rebellious because, hey, we, serve, we, we, we truly say we love Jesus. We're okay with being deceived. The problem is, Jesus said this, if the light on the inside of you be darkness, how great is that darkness because you actually think it's light? Do, do you understand where Judah was at? Judah was at the place where they were so far wrong, they thought they were right. It's like if you've ever ran track, you're so far behind, you think you're ahead. I've been there before, literally. I mean, it's not a fun place to be. You're so far behind, you think you're ahead. You're so far lost, you actually think you're found. And we never see what God truly has. God is calling to a people in the book of Jeremiah that is, that is desolate without his presence, that is rebellious without a king that is that is deceived so much that they actually think wrong is right and right is wrong sounds eerily familiar and they're so lost that they literally think they know their own way and their their own way brought them right into a place of captivity and up to this point in the in the message i said at the beginning Jeremiah is not a largely inspirational book, and so some of you are sitting here in this message thinking, wow, he's been kind of negative today. It's usually not the style of, of Pastor Joel. He's usually not negative when he preaches. Well, when all you got is all these chapters of negativity, I'm not going to try and make them positive, okay? <laughs> and, we, and we are so accustomed to Jeremiah being the, oh, the great inspirational book where we, we, we read Jeremiah 1.5, and it says, I knew you before I formed you in the womb of your mother, and I ordained you to be a prophet among the nations. We're like, oh, that's so great. And then we read Jeremiah 29.11, and God says, oh, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And we use these as inspirational pick-out verses of a book that's filled with a nation that's been desolate, rebellious, deceived, and lost. And if you'll read Jeremiah 28 all the way up through 29.10, oh God, help them. Oh God, help us. But we don't only serve a God of the extreme call, a God of the extreme outreaching arm. We do serve this. We serve a God of the extreme hope. We serve a God of the extreme hope. And I won't have time to hit both of these scriptures, so I'm just going to stick with the one I just previously mentioned of Jeremiah 29.11. And the Bible says this, it's a God who offers extreme hope, and I want you to get extreme hope this morning. And Jeremiah 29, 10 says this, For thus says the Lord God Almighty, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, God says, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise, and I will bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me, and you will come to me, and you will pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you back from all the places where you went into exile too, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place where you had been sent into exile. Can I tell you this morning, we serve a God of the extreme call. We serve a God of the extreme continual reach. But we serve a God that's a God of extreme hope. That it doesn't matter what state your life is in today. You can be in the desolate state. You can be in the rebellious state. You can be in the deceived state. You can be in the flat out lost state. 
and you come to realization of it, there's an extreme hope for you. That God says, even after all this junk of your whole life, that you said you've done this, and you thought you've been this great, and you were so, and you thought you'd done all this great stuff for the kingdom, and you realize you've been desolate, rebellious, deceived, and lost, get ready, because I'm a God, a God of extreme hope, and I know the plans that I have specifically for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to bring you back to a place of victorious living once again through Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Now listen. In your life, it doesn't matter what your past has been like. It doesn't matter how much issues you've dealt with. It doesn't matter how many times you've been abused and neglected. It doesn't matter how many times you've clicked on that internet site over and over and over and you can't seem to get rid of it. It doesn't matter how many times you continue to pick up the bottle every single night before you go to bed. It doesn't matter how many times you continue to go and it doesn't matter what you do. You can't seem to quit lying and you're living a lie. It doesn't matter how many times you've been abused in your life. But get this, what all that has to do with is God says all that has brought you into exile and captivity. Get ready because God God's in a day today where he's wanting to bring you out of captivity, bring you forth into restoration, set you free from your horrible thinking and your horrible mindsets, set you free from the physical addictions, set you free from the pain of your abuse, set you free and give you a hope and a future that looks bright and majestic through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. God wants to bring you out. God wants to bring you out today. I cannot emphasize that enough. I don't know who this is for in here this morning, but God wants to bring you out. Maybe you're a young person in rage group and you've been abused and you don't haven't told a soul. God wants to bring you out of the captivity of abuse. Maybe you're an adult in here who you've been living an adulterous lifestyle and nobody knows it. God wants to bring you out of captivity and set you free. Maybe you're a lady in here who if you battle with depression and self-esteem issues all your life, get ready because God's bringing you out. He says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He says, I got great and mighty plans for you. He says, you'll be mighty on the earth. He says, you're more than a conqueror. He says, you're an overcomer. He says, you're no longer classified a victim, but now get ready to be victorious. God wants to bring you out, set you free, and watch him do amazing things in your life. I don't know how to get it across to you today. I can't get it across to you any clearer that many times people in the church were deceived, were desolate, were rebellious, and were lost. But even in the midst of that state, we serve an extreme God with an extreme call, with an extreme outreaching arm that's offering you an extreme hope this morning. If you'll just call on the name of Jesus, he'll bring you out. What's the point of the whole book of Jeremiah? I want to bring into every message that I do. The prose point, what the prose point is, that's the point of the whole message of the prophet. The point of the whole message of the prophet is this. The Bible says in Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice upon the earth. In his days, listen to this, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell in safety. I, I, I wish I had time to go into the power of that two, those two statements. Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell in safety. What that means is it means the nation of Judah that, that had the, was in, with Jerusalem was his capital where King David reigned it shall be saved. But also I hadn't forgotten about Israel. I hadn't forgotten about the other ten tribes of the north. I hadn't forgotten about those. God says you can be saved and I hadn't forgot about all your family either. 
Man, some of you got family that are in captivity that God's wanting to bring out. And God says, if I can get you saved, delivered, healed, set free, then I can get you out, and then I can get your family out, and then I can just have an exponential impact and get it going. God wants to get you out of captivity. And he goes on to say, Judah shall be saved, Israel shall dwell in safety, and this his name whereby he shall be called. Listen to this. He is the Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness means this. It means he is the Lord who made a way for us to be back in right standing or back in favor with God the Father Almighty. Where when God looks at Joel T. Meyer, he doesn't see the pathetic life that Joel lived. He sees Jesus Christ because he's now my righteousness. He is my Lord. When I submit to the Lord my righteousness, he doesn't see me. He sees Jesus and knows that I'm under Jesus and I'm submissive to him. I can come into his presence, not because of me, but because of him, the dear son of God Almighty. The Lord, my righteousness. This morning, I don't want you to go into the presence of God without Jesus being the Lord, your righteousness. This morning, whatever your situation is, that we serve a God of the extreme call, the God of the extreme reach, the God of the extreme hope, but it's coming from a God who sent an extreme sacrifice with his son, who paid an extreme price for our righteousness. This morning, right now, some of you got to be set free. I I mean, Damon, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I just... Somebody in here this morning has got to be set free, and the problem is you don't even know you're captive yet. And I guess that's why my heart is so grieved this morning, because so many of us are in a place where we don't even know we're captive, and we're in captivity, and so we don't even know we need to be set free. And that's what breaks my heart, and so I want the deception broken off. I want the deception broken off. A lot of you saying, but Joel, I'm a good Christian. I don't want you to be a good Christian. I want you to be a called, anointed man and woman of God. I I mean, I want us to be set free to go minister. And just as as I studied Jeremiah, I had such a hard time with this book. And I've even had such a hard time preaching it because I didn't just want to say what God said in his Bible. I wanted to feel the heart of God. And this week studying, I felt the heart of God and my heart began to break because there's a nation of people who don't even know they're deceived and they're deceived and walking right into captivity. And, and, And I'm saying, oh God, oh God, it's time to come forth. This morning, I'm going to ask you, would you please, if you're in a desolate state without the presence of God, I want you to come. If you're in a rebellious place in your life, you you, you continually do that same sin over and over again. And you can't help yourself, it seems like. You can't help but pick up the bottle or, or click on the internet or whatever the problem is that you're facing. You keep doing the same sin over and over. Well, come under the Lord your righteousness and break the rebellion off your life. Some of you this morning, you're deceived and and you think, hey, I'll be okay, Joel. I can get through this time. No, you can't. Because in your deception thinking you can do it on your own, you're only walking farther into captivity. You may have a brighter day tomorrow than it was today, but it doesn't mean the end result's going to be better than yesterday was. Let's break the deception off and realize we can't do anything and we are nothing without Jesus Christ. We've got to get back to that basis and that premise. Jesus Christ is our only hope. He's our only hope. And so this morning, I'm pleading with you, those who are lost, those who have no direction in your life, 
those who need to hear from God because you don't even know where you're headed. You don't know where your marriage is headed. You don't know where your kids are headed. You don't know where your family is headed. You don't know where you're at. I'm asking you this morning, would you come to the Lord your righteousness where he can bring you to the presence of God Almighty and God will set you free, bring you out of captivity and bring you back and establish you in the place that he called you to be.